0: Welcome back to another episode of our deep dive inquiry into the fascinating realm of cognitive science and human perception. I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Today's cerebral exploration peers into the intricate mechanisms of our visual system through the lens of a research paper titled, Inhibition of Return in Three-Dimensional Space Can Be Modulated by Depth and Object Membership.
0: Absolutely, Jen. This paper is a significant contribution to the field, studying how our attention is selectively steered in a 3D environment, a topic that's been quite enigmatic until recently.
1: Oh, it's a juicy one. We're gonna dissect the intriguing phenomenon known as inhibition of return, or IOR for short, and how it's influenced by both the perception of depth and the objects within that space.
0: For those newly initiated, inhibition of return is a psychological process where our attentional system shows a preference for novel areas in our visual field. After fixating on a location, returning our focus there is somewhat sluggish if a certain amount of time has passed.
1: Think of it like Mother Nature's way of telling us, been there, seen that. Let's focus on something new. This mechanism is super helpful for tasks like visual search, where you're looking for something specific among a sea of clutter.
0: Now onto the paper's abstract. An experiment was designed to measure IOR using cues and targets in a simulated 3D setting on a computer. The researchers wanted to know if changing the depth planes and object association between cues and targets influenced IOR.
1: Here's the kicker, Tom. When cues were further away than the targets, IOR diminished, but only when the cues and targets appeared as parts of different objects. If the cue and target were parts of a single object expanded along the depth axis, this reduction in IOR wasn't observed.
0: Fascinating, isn't it? And when the cues were nearer compared to farther targets, this depth dependency didn't really come into play.
1: So this paper suggests IOR isn't just about spatial locations. It intertwines with how we perceive objects and depth in three dimensions. It's like our brain has this elaborate software capable of rendering 3D graphics where the attentional spotlight is also a respecter of depth perception.
0: This experiment revolves around some bedrock principles. Reaction times to targets emerging at previously cued locations are usually longer when the famous cue target onset asynchrony surpasses a 300 millisecond threshold. This latency is the crux of the IOR effect.
1: Now for the technical jargon. To unpack, cue target onset asynchrony is simply the the gap in time between the cue, that attention-grabbing signal, and the actual targets reveal
0: the researchers draw on a rich historical dialogue about IOR, both spatial and object-based. Prior studies have shown that objects play a role in how IOR manifests, with the effect's magnitude escalating when the boundaries of said object are more noticeable.
1: Right, and they've also noted that as the spatial gap between a cue and a target within the same object increases, IOR tends to taper off.
0: However, despite object-based IOR being a consistent finding, Our mental mapping of space still exerts a mighty influence over this effect. This nuance in IOR presents a riveting intersection between spatial perception and object recognition.
1: And that's just scratching the surface. Stay tuned as we delve into the core of the paper, exploring the methodology, detailed findings and implications of this study's probing of our mind's eye.
0: Imagine a world where your attention never gets stuck in the past.
1: Where looking for your lost keys or that sneaky remote control becomes a game that you actually win.
0: Introducing the latest innovation sparked by groundbreaking research. Whatcha looking at? Goggles.
1: Designed with the inhibition of return in three-dimensional space study in mind, These snazzy specs use advanced AR technology to manipulate depth cues and object boundaries so your attention zips around like a honeybee in a field of fresh blooms.
0: Lost your sock? Whatcha looking at? Goggles highlighted in a contrasting color on a different perceived depth plane. Boom. Sock found.
1: Looking for something new in your cluttered pantry? Watch as these magical goggles dim what you've seen to spotlight the undiscovered goodies hidden behind that giant jar of pickles.
0: No more second glances that lead to nowhere. With whatcha looking at, you'll be saying, now, why didn't I see that before? As you locate objects faster than ever, even when they play hide and seek in another dimension.
1: Forget x-ray vision. That's so comic book cliche. Modern problems require modern solutions. And whatcha looking at is your ticket to a supercharged perception in the third dimension.
0: Get your whatcha looking at goggles today. Because when it comes to looking, It's out with the old and in with the new, literally. Hello, folks. This is Tom. And
1: I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into the depths of our minds backstage, the computational unconscious.
0: Exactly, Jen. The Brain, dear listeners, is not just irrationally mushy. It's a computational marvel. This paper by George Dean and colleagues brings light to adaptive narrative control.
1: It's all about how our non-conscious processes shape what we consciously experience to promote adaptive behaviors, essentially survival. Could you ever imagine your brain as a master storyteller, constantly editing a narrative for your daily
0: drama? This narrative is a dynamic one, Jen, influenced heavily by what is known as an attention schema. It's a model of our attentional state, helping us predict not only what we will know next, but also how we'll feel about it.
1: Through mental action or intentional focus, our brilliant brains control this storytelling to regulate emotions and guide behavior.
0: But, like any good system, it can get out of whack. This is where psychopathology, mental disorders, comes into play. The paper posits the idea of avoidant mental action or motivated inattention.
1: Skipping over things that are emotionally uncomfortable shapes our internal narrative in ways that may help us in the short term, but at a cost. This brings us to a novel computational perspective on the idea of an unconscious mind.
0: Absolutely, and the paper takes it a step further by connecting this with the effects of psychedelic therapy and meditation on subjective well-being.
1: Let's ready our attention schemas as we unpack the implications of adaptive narrative control theory and the creation of the computational unconscious. Join us as we decode how our subconscious minds drive behavior, influence psychopathology, and relate to our sense of well-being.
0: Now, to tread into our cerebral jungles, we must first understand the fundamentals of cognitive science. The brain is often likened to an inferential engine, using our past experiences to form predictions, which then shape our perception of the world.
1: Right, it's not just about painting an accurate picture of reality. It's more pragmatic. The story woven at any given moment is optimized for survival rather than truth.
0: This optimization process involves balancing what's known in the biz as epistemic and pragmatic considerations. Epistemic is the truth seeker in our mind looking for accuracy, while pragmatic leans toward utility.
1: And like any good story editor, the brain is selective with attention to weave these narratives from our senses.
0: Now, while ordinary experiences might be directed by these primal algorithms, things can spiral into psychopathologies when our narrative control becomes dysfunctional.
1: The researchers connect these ideas to what's called the P-factor, a common thread that might be lurking behind diverse mental disorders. It gives new meaning to the age-old question, how is everything
0: connected? Indeed. And much like life's rich tapestry, our discussion is interwoven, isn't it, Jen? We'll be stepping into the realms of neuroscience, psychology, and advances in therapeutic practices.
1: Hang tight, listeners. It's going to be a synaptic symphony, of thought-provoking insights. As we dive deeper into these mechanisms, we'll explore the implications for mental health and well-being.
0: So to sum up, this paper aims to explore the very fabric of our conscious experiences and its intertwining with our well-being. This is our bedrock as we move ahead. Grab your metaphorical diving gear because we're about to go deep, really deep.
1: Stay tuned, listeners. The story of your mind's inner workings is about to
0: unfold. And let me tell you, It's a narrative worth controlling. The podcast would then proceed with the detailed discussion on the objectives, methodology, key findings, and implications as outlined in the original prompt, all interlaced with Tom's and Jen's engaging conversation. And now, a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Tired of the same old narrative in your noggin? Stuck on repeat with thoughts that just don't do you any favors?
0: Introducing PsycheScript, the revolutionary service rewriting the story of your mind. Using the principles from the computational unconscious, we're your personal brainy baristas brewing a blend of better mental narratives.
1: No more tragic tales of traffic jams or tales of missing the toast's perfect crunch. PsycheScript turns your daily downers into a blockbuster hit where you always save the day.
0: With our patented narrative nudger technology, You'll get a tiny, imperceptible jolt whenever you wander off your heroic path. It's like having a director in your subconscious, only less shouty and no weird berate.
1: Can't find your keys? script flips the script. Now it's an epic quest with a triumphant orchestral score as you discover them in the freezer next to the peas.
0: Impromptu meeting at work. Watch as PsycheScript transforms your anxiety into an avant-garde drama where you're the intellectual powerhouse, albeit in an office chair.
1: Subscribe now and we'll throw in a complimentary ebook, Narrative Control, Turning Mental Mush into Mindful Masterpieces. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sign up for a lifetime subscription.
0: PsycheScript, because everyone deserves to live in their own well-adapted narrative wonderland.
1: Side effects may include inexplicably poetic inner monologues and the uncanny ability to turn spilled coffee into a profound life lesson. Use responsibly.
0: Remember, it's not just your life, it's your adventure, curated by PsycheScript.
1: Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Don't, don't touch that dial.
0: Welcome to our deep dive episode where we'll uncover the layers of the biased enforcement of rarely followed rules, a paper exploring how the enforcement of rules that are often broken yet seldom enforced can vary based on the race of the individual involved. This paper is a compelling addition to the vast trove of research on systemic bias in law enforcement.
1: That's right, Tom. This study rigorously analyzes the application of non-emergency municipal service calls, specifically in New York City. With data spanning across a decade, the research provides hard evidence of a racially motivated pattern in arrest escalation from non-emergency service calls.
0: Before we sail on this sea of insights, let's unpack why this paper stands out. Firstly, the implications of such research go beyond academics. It shines a harsh light on racial disparities within the American legal system.
1: Absolutely and it veers into the nuances of how enforcement discretion leaves room for personal biases when it comes to phantom rules. These are rules that are frequently violated, yet attract meager enforcement, like jaywalking or selling items on the street.
0: The paper does more than just state the obvious. It validates the lived experiences of people of color who have long noted an unfair, biased enforcement of laws against them, despite similar activities being overlooked when committed by white individuals.
1: Key concepts here are phantom rules and social dominance orientation, reflecting an individual's preference for hierarchy in the social order, which can influence how much they wish to enforce rules against those of lower status, which unfortunately often correlates with race.
0: Now, let's delve into the core of the paper. The research holds two prongs, an analysis of over 21,311 calls, and an experimental study with around 400 participants making judgment calls on whether to escalate similar non-emergencies to law enforcement. The
1: results? Stark and unsettling. Calls from areas with predominantly white residents were 65% less likely to result in arrest when compared to areas with more residents of color. And experimentally, people higher in social dominance orientation were more likely to escalate calls regarding black rule breakers.
0: This brings us to the implications. The study posits that this bias can naturally lead to an increased police presence and altercations in neighborhoods with more people of color. This not only promotes a distrust in law enforcement, but could potentially escalate to dangerous or lethal encounters.
1: And our conclusion? This paper is a critical lens on the inequities of law application, a must-read for policymakers, law enforcement, and anyone passionate about justice and equality. It's an expose on how oft-ignored petty crimes can reflect and reinforce deep racial divides.
0: My reflection, Jen, is that while the study puts numbers to a narrative that many marginalized communities know too well, it also serves as a vehicle for change if these biases are acknowledged and addressed by those in power.
1: Agreed, Tom. It underlines the necessity for rigorous anti-bias training and continual evaluation of law enforcement practices. The goal? A legal system where the scales of justice are balanced, regardless of the race of the hands that momentarily tip them.
0: And with that powerful thought, we wrap up today's profound discussion. We encourage our listeners to ponder these findings and consider their role in advocating for a more equitable society.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe for more deep dives into thought-provoking research, where we strive to bring the complexities of academic papers to light. Until next time.
0: Have you ever found yourself vexed by the idiosyncrasies of phantom rules and discretionary law enforcement? Do you long for a clear-cut guide?
1: Introducing Fair Rules Finder, your pocket guidebook and app, spun from the insights of the biased enforcement of rarely followed rules paper.
0: With a whimsical spin and a snarky AI, Fair Rules Finder highlights how strangely specific or broadly ignored regulations can be, all with a touch of humor.
1: Bad hair day and considering an illegal sidewalk haircut? Fair Rules Finder will flash a sassy warning. Scissor hands at home, please.
0: Thinking of serenading the neighborhood with your bagpipes at dawn? The app will chime in with Wraith, unless you're summoning the Loch Ness Monster let's not
1: and for the social butterflies our premium feature real-time rule review have a quick consult with our ai jerry before you take the plunge on that front lawn luau
0: plus with fair rules finder you get personalized phantom rule reports a monthly roundup of the weirdest laws enforced with cartoonish bias in your area
1: and for every download we donate to justice reform initiatives because fighting bias with humor doesn't mean we ignore the issue
0: So, chuckle at the absurd, stay educated, and be a part of the solution with Fair Rules Finder, where it's not just about staying out of trouble.
1: It's about fairness with a side of laughter. Download now, and who knows, you might just find out your pet turtle needs a license to roam.
0: Welcome back to our Deep Dive series, where we explore the complexities and intricacies of academic research. I'm Tom
1: and I'm Jen today we're going to unravel a research paper that has the education and psychological research community quite intrigued
0: indeed Jen the study we're discussing today is titled comparing buffer versus transmission models of bullying victimization math self-efficacy and math achievement a multi-level approach and it was conducted by a team of researchers from Florida State University
1: to set the stage let's talk about why this study is so crucial Bullying in school settings has long been identified as a significant issue affecting children and adolescents emotionally, physically, and academically.
0: Exactly, Jen. And when we dive into academic performance, we find that bullying experiences, often referred to as bullying victimization, have been associated with poorer outcomes, including lower academic self-efficacy and performance. Academic self-efficacy, by the way, is the belief in one's ability to succeed in achieving academic goals.
1: Key to this paper's relevance is the focus on mathematics. Why math, you ask? Well, math achievement is a critical determinant of future academic and career successes, and it's also where some of the most dramatic effects of bullying seem to show up.
0: That's why this paper tackles the complex relationship between bullying victimization, or BV for short, math self-efficacy, we'll call this MSE, and math achievement using sophisticated statistical models. They explore whether MSE serves as a buffer that protects students from the negative effects of bullying on math achievement or if it instead acts as a transmission mechanism where the negative effects of bullying are transmitted through low MSE leading to poor math achievement.
1: Before we get too deep let's clarify some of the specialized terminology. Bullying victimization, or BV, refers to the harmful experiences one might have as a target of bullying. Math self-efficacy, or MSE, is about a student's belief in their ability to succeed in math-related tasks. Buffer model posits that high levels of MSE can protect, or buffer, a student from the negative effects that bullying might have on their math performance. Transmission model suggests that the negative effects of bullying are mediated through a decrease in MSE, Leading to poorer math performance.
0: And to start dissecting the paper, let's look at the objectives and methodology. The researchers aimed to understand how BV and MSE are related to math achievement among fourth and eighth graders, utilizing data from the large-scale Trends in International Mathematics and Science Study, also known as TIMSS.
1: They employed Bayesian multi-level multivariate modeling. That's a mouthful. To analyze data from thousands of students across hundreds of schools, taking into account multiple levels of influence from the individual student to the classroom and school context.
0: In the findings, the transmission model stood out, showing that bullying victimization indeed leads to reduced math self-efficacy, which in turn can result in lower math achievement.
1: They also discovered that these patterns could vary based on the student's sex, with some indications that female students could be more negatively affected by BV when it comes to their MSE and math performance.
0: Now, pondering over the implications and applications of their findings, the study shed light on the importance of addressing the consequences of bullying at school, particularly highlighting the need for interventions that not only target bullying behaviors, but also aim to strengthen students' math self-efficacy.
1: It paints a picture of how bolstering students' confidence in their math abilities can potentially serve as a protective buffer, offsetting some of the adverse effects bullying could have on their academic performance.
0: And to wrap it up, our conclusive thoughts are that this study provides a valuable lens through which to view the dynamics of bullying victimization in relation to academic achievement. It also lays the groundwork for educational interventions and policies that focus not just on stopping bullying, but also on empowering students academically.
1: In a broader sense, Tom, it's studies like these that underscore the interconnectedness of social experiences and academic outcomes. By unraveling this complex web, we can begin to foster environments that not only deter bullying, but also promote resilience and success among students.
0: And that's our comprehensive look at this fascinating paper. We hope this episode has given you a clearer understanding of the nuanced ways in which bullying can impact our children's education and the multi-layered approach necessary to address it.
1: We'll leave you with this thought. Every child's academic journey is shaped by a myriad of factors, and it is our collective responsibility to ensure they have a healthy, supportive environment in which to thrive. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, this has been an insightful episode of our award-winning podcast.
0: And now, a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Are you tired of the same old boring math worksheets and anti-bullying campaigns?
0: Then get ready for Math Guardians the only company combining top-notch math tutoring with superhero-themed anti-bullying workshops.
1: Laugh as your child defeats the algebra avenger, all while learning that true heroes stand up against bullying.
0: Need to calculate the trajectory of pi-pies thrown at the mean median? Math Guardians has you covered.
1: And the best part? Watch your kid's self-effic- self-efficacy soar faster than the square root rocket with our patented math confidence capes.
0: So don't just be part of the average be part of the mean call 1-800 MathGuard to enroll your child today
1: math guardians because every kid can be a mathlete and an anti-bullying champion see terms and conditions for cape aerodynamics and pie throwing safety regulations
0: and we're back to the show welcome back to our award-winning podcast i'm your host tom
1: and I'm Jen. Today we're delving into a topic that truly challenges our intuitions about effort and well-being.
0: That's right, Jen. We're dissecting a fascinating paper titled Experimental Evidence That Exerting Effort Increases Meaning, authored by Aidan V. Campbell, Yi Yi Wang, and Michael Inslicht from the University of Toronto.
1: This paper isn't just interesting academically. It has implications for our everyday lives, our work, and even our philosophies. What makes it remarkable is its comprehensive examination of how effort influences our sense of meaning and purpose.
0: To understand the significance of the research, we first need to recognize that effort is a staple of daily life. Whether we're talking about physical exertion or cognitive engagement, effort is ever-present.
1: Absolutely, Tom. However, previous literature has painted effort as an innately aversive experience, something to be minimized in the pursuit of greater rewards. Phrases like, work smarter, not harder, embody this notion.
0: Spot on. Yet contradicting this perspective, recent literature hints at a nuanced role for effort, where it's not just a cost, but also a valuable aspect of our lives.
1: It's this evolution in understanding that frames the significance of Campbell and colleagues' work. Is the exertion of effort solely something to be avoided, or can it actually increase our psychological well-being by adding meaning to our efforts?
0: Diving into the key concepts addressed in the paper, the authors explore the concept of effort, how we experience it, and its connection to meaning.
1: They also dive into the economic and cognitive science perspective of effort as a cost due to its aversive nature, Tom. But then they pivot to investigate a wild idea that exerting effort could potentially beget feelings of meaning.
0: Now to ensure we're all on the same page, let's break down some complex vocabulary. The paper discusses the idea of effort and how it's also related to cognitive control and motivation, two underpinning concepts in psychology.
1: Cognitive control refers to our mental ability to focus on tasks, regulate emotions, and perform complex behaviors, while motivation is the why behind our actions.
0: The paper is organized into a series of studies, each rigorously designed to test whether people perceive effort as related to meaning. These studies range from hypothetical scenarios to practical tasks that participants carried out.
1: Let's get to the core of the paper, the research objectives, methodology, and key results. The researchers conducted five studies with a total sample size of over 1,500 individuals.
0: The first two studies presented participants with hypothetical scenarios involving a writing task with varying levels of effort. They asked participants to predict how meaningful they would find the effortful tasks.
1: They found that, indeed, both participants and observers associated more effort with greater perceived meaning. Now that's groundbreaking, Tom. Contradicts our tendency to avoid exertion.
0: Then the authors took it a step further with studies three and four, where they had participants complete actual tasks, like the Stroop task, and varying the effort needed to complete them.
1: And the results were consistent, Tom. More effort equated to more perceived meaning, regardless of the task's inherent value or purpose.
0: In the piece de resistance, study five, participants were asked to write an essay, some with the help of AI, like ChatGPT, and some without. Those who wrote manually, pouring in more effort, found more meaning in their work.
1: Yet despite the less effortful AI-assisted task producing higher quality writing, Participants wanted the same compensation for their more effortful, lower quality output. It all paints a picture. Effort has subjective value.
0: Now, the implications of this research are vast. It has the potential to reshape workplace practices, our approach to technology like AI, and engagement in activities that require exertion.
1: If part of our daily satisfaction comes from effort, what does this mean for the rise of automation and smart tech designed to reduce our effort? It could mean rethinking our relationship with tools that ease our cognitive load.
0: And in conclusion, Jen Campbell and colleagues' paper gives us a lot to ponder about the inherent value of effort in our lives.
1: Absolutely, Tom. It influences the way we perceive tasks, determines how we construct meaning, and our proneness to appreciate hard work, whether it's our own or someone else's.
0: And I've got to say, Jen, it makes you wonder if sometimes putting in the extra effort isn't just good for achieving our goals, but for feeling our actions are meaningful too.
1: Indeed, Tom, it's a conversation that goes beyond the paper and into the realm of philosophy, life choices, and certainly future
0: research. It's been an enlightening episode. Until next time, keep exerting that effort, finding meaning, and of course, tuning into our podcast. This episode is brought to you by Effortful Eudaimonia, the company that makes you work hard for your happiness.
1: Ever feel like life's too easy? Like pushing a button and getting your coffee from a machine just doesn't cut it?
0: Well, have no fear. Effortful Eudaimonia is here with the new Grind It Yourself coffee maker.
1: It's a coffee machine without the machine. We give you the raw beans, a hand grinder, a blowtorch, and a metal bucket.
0: That's right. Why settle for pressing a button when you can roast your own beans on an open flame, grind them with pure elbow grease, and then, only then, pour hot water over them for that well-earned cup of joe?
1: Studies show hard work adds meaning, so we've removed the convenient bits to maximize that life value.
0: Want to toast your own bread? Forget the toaster. Try our patented Flint and Steel Bread Crispifier. With every spark comes greater satisfaction.
1: Effortful eudaimonia because when life gets easier, we make it harder, so it feels so much better.
0: Terms and conditions apply. Satisfaction directly proportional to the sweat and tears. Order now, and we'll throw in a hand-cranked cell phone charger, absolutely free, because you haven't worked hard enough until you've powered your own phone call.
1: Visit EffortfulEudaimonia.com and put some effort back into your life today.